This podcast was recorded and produced at the studios of CIFR 88.7 FM at the University of Northern British Columbia. UNBC sits on the traditional unceded territories of the Klaitli Tanay. The history of Prince George is one of colonial terror, displacement, land theft, and cultural genocide. As we think about arts and culture in Prince George, we must contend with this reality and recognize that for many of us, our lives, livelihoods, and creative endeavors run parallel to the ongoing, often violent, disenfranchisement of Indigenous communities. I'll say it one more time. We live and work on the traditional unceded territories of the Klaitli today. This week on Culture Confluence, I sit down with Dara Campbell from the Prince George Public Interest Research Group, or PG PERG, and Jordan Harris and Kelsey Callowert from the Pounds Project. For those unfamiliar, Pounds stands for Preventing Overdose, Undoing Stigma. So far, this podcast is focused primarily on the arts and artists' contributions to Prince George's cultural backdrop. But as Clayton Gochi talked about in episode 9, culture is more than the sum of its artistic outputs. The arts do not exist in a vacuum, and culture is informed by location, community, and the issues it faces. My guests this week all play a role in community building, and their organizational foci reflect the issues most relevant to the communities they serve, to our communities. While we covered lots of ground in our brief chat, this is far from a comprehensive overview of the activist organizing that is happening in Prince George, or the issues we face as a community. While CIFR and the Community Arts Council are nonpartisan by design, we are not nonpolitical. In fact, I would argue there is no such thing as to be nonpolitical. Inaction is a choice just as much as action is, priorities are negotiated and can change over time, and silence on issues speaks in favor of maintaining the status quo, whatever that may be. The PG Perg, a student-led organization on campus, and the Pounds Project, a peer-driven downtown-situated organization, are different in any number of ways, but as can be heard in this exchange, there are shared goals and motivations when it comes to action. As always, I am grateful to CIFR 88.7 FM and Studio 2880 and the Community Arts Council of Prince George for their ongoing support. So to start off, could you introduce yourselves and the organizations you work for? 
Hi, I'm Jordan Harris. I am the executive director of the Pounds Project. Uh, my name is Kelsey Hallward, and I am the housing manager of the Pounds Project. I'm Dara Campbell, and I'm the executive director at the Prince George Public Interest Research Group. And could you give me a brief overview of what your organization does? So the Pounds Project stands for Preventing Overdose and Undoing Stigma. Uh, we're a peer-led, primarily drug users group that does harm reduction, work and advocacy in the community. So we do a lot of overdose prevention type services, um, resource center, and connection building. So Prince George Perg is, uh, we're a campus-based organization. We are student-funded, student-led. Um, we basically take direct action and do advocacy um, on issues that are of, of public interest, specifically um, youth interest. So uh, these days what those programs look like are um, we have an urban farm on campus. Uh, we do a monthly veggie box. We also have um, a low-waste bulk food store. Um, we used to run the compost program here on campus for a number of years up until recently. Uh, so how did you end up in your current roles and what brought you to this work? So the Pounds Project was founded just over a year ago at this point. We got started in September of 2018 with a crisis innovation grant from the Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions. So it's a grant that was designed to support organizations that were doing on the ground innovative work to address the overdose crisis in their communities. So that's how we got started. Uh, so PG Perg has been around since 1995. I've been there for about three months now. Um, but how I came into the position was uh, I finished up at UNBC with um, a bachelor's in global studies and uh, political science. And um, from there, I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do. and. Uh, I came back to Prince George wanting to find work that was something related to environmental or social justice, um, which is kind of a hard, it's a hard thing to find in PG unless you have a social work degree. Um, and then this position opened up and I felt like it was a really perfect kind of fit of um, really focusing on that intersection of environmental justice being related to social justice. And like, like I was saying, like right now, a lot of our programs have to do with food access and food security. And a lot of people outwardly see PG Perg as being an environmental organization. Um, and I want to make that social justice piece a little more apparent and kind of figure out some other different like campaigns or programs. But I, yeah, I see it as being like a really nice intersection of different passions of mine. So I, it's a new position, the housing manager for the Pounds Project. Um, we recently just got funding. We're partnering with another nonprofit, um, and we just got access to a bunch of units above. It's the National, so above the strip bar downtown. So we're going to be opening up 14 um, low-barrier units um, for people downtown to help get people off the streets. And it's going to be peer-run, uh, peer-led, I guess, Um and kind of just like a co-op style housing um, where everyone that lives there works there, everyone contributes, there's not a discrepancy in what jobs people do. If you're there, you're there to kind of keep it running and keep it moving. So we're pretty excited about it. It's very new. It's not opened yet. Jordan and Kelsey, what was your relationship to harm reduction and overdose prevention work prior to the beginning of Pounds? Before Pounds existed, I was doing some work for the local health authority at the local needle exchange, so doing um, that harm reduction, education, overdose monitoring, um, and supply provision. I have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from up here at UMBC, and that was kind of how I got my, my taste for harm reduction. 
um, and the idea that I wanted to spend my life doing this kind of work. So that's what what put me in the in the middle of the overdose crisis, and you know, gave me that motivation to create some change. Yeah, um, kind of similar. I have a master's in anthropology, so I've always been like very fascinated and interested in the cultural piece of society, like all over the world. And so um, being friends with Jordan, uh, she was working at the Needle Exchange, and I also got a job there, um, which kind of put me right in the middle and where I really started to understand stigma and what our people are going through on a daily basis, which kind of just made everything just hit closer to home, like when you're actually down there watching it happen. Um, and yeah, it just kind of put us right in the middle. And then she started this thing and now we're we're all in and it's pretty exciting. What do you see as the primary issues facing Prince George at this time? And how do those fit into the broader context of communities in the North and globally? Okay, so I think that a really big issue facing Prince George and Northern communities is climate change and adapting to climate change. But I think a big piece of that is getting youth engagement. And I think that that's where campuses um, are really, really cool place uh, to be doing any kind of activism work, um, no matter what angle you're, whether it's social or environmental or, because campuses I think can harness a lot of power and this is where people are doing a lot of research and there's a lot of energy and um, I think increasingly young people are like coming up with these different perspectives from previous generations. I mean, that's always how it is, but I think right now we really need to see a very quick turnaround in innovation and changing perspectives. Um, whether that is adapting to climate change or harm reduction, like any kind of stigma or, yeah. So I think that um, for PG Perg, like regardless of our, our current programming, which has been very environmental focused, I think in general, um, I see us as contributing to um, facing Prince George's issues, or th- like issues in the North, as trying to get that youth engagement and student engagement um, and really getting really giving students the platform and the support to take action on any kind of uh, any kind of issue that they feel passionately about and that they want to um, affect change for. How about for Pounds, Jordan? Um, when Dara mentioned that, like, adaptability and, um, like, the change that we're seeing in so many northern communities right now, I think in downtown Prince George, a really good example of that is like the kind of soft core gentrification that's happening mm. um, with the development of new businesses and real estate in the downtown area. We have this notion as a community that we need to clean up the downtown. And what I've noticed is that it has led to a lot of othering language. So when people talk about the issues that exist in the downtown core of Prince George, one of the things that comes up repeatedly is the idea that in 2017, the refugees that came here, refugees, evacuees, whatever you like from the forest fires um, in the surrounding regions, that a lot of those people stayed and that that's, you know, the, the population that we're seeing downtown and that's where the issues are coming from and that's an example of that us versus them um, and having a population of other people that are causing the issue and in my opinion ultimately those people ended up in Prince George and that makes them a part of our community it doesn't matter how they got here or when they got here by existing here by living here you become a part of that community Um, and so where you came from I think is irrelevant and if we want to adapt successfully to the changes that we're seeing, I think the answer is in connection. 
um, and in coming together as a community. What are some of the common misconceptions about either your organization or the issues you seek to address? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're a group that sells drugs to people. That's not what we do. Um, or that naloxone is a harmful substance. Yeah, that's a huge misconception, and it's something that we actually saw a lot of barriers uh, regarding when we were getting started as a group was this um, misconception that providing naloxone to people um, is a dangerous activity. So naloxone is always safe to give for the individual that's receiving it. Um, If you're not having an opiate overdose, naloxone will have no effect on you. Uh, And for the person giving it, it's a very straightforward, simple procedure uh, with extremely low risk. And there's this idea that when people are um, being revived from an overdose, you know, that they're more likely to become violent or aggressive. Um, and that that's a myth. Um, it's a, a misconception, just the same that you can't, you know, be poisoned by fentanyl by touching a surface that had fentanyl on it. Like fentanyl is not absorbed through your skin and naloxone isn't dangerous to give. Um, and those are some of the misconceptions that uh, create a sense of fear around the work that we do. And yeah, they're misplaced for sure. And what about the idea that harm reduction somehow encourages drug use? <clears throat> Yeah. Um, Harm reduction for a lot of people is their first point of contact with any kind of helping service. So the idea that it enables anything beyond connection and opportunity for change is misguided. And nobody is going to start using drugs because syringes are free. and what, like we, we know this and we've seen it you know, in the evidence and research that's been collected over the last few decades. And we, we know that harm reduction is a cost-effective way of reducing diseases that are related to risky behaviors and that people aren't going to stop engaging in risky behaviors based on the supplies that are available to them. I think it's also a common misconception because there are more harm reduction groups and there's more discussion around harm reduction, that it appears that drug use has increased, but it's actually not true. People are just more open about drug use. It's not as hidden, not as taboo, but it's not actually increased at all. It's just, there's just more knowledge about the drug use, which seems to be a big misconception. People think that more people are using that there are more people downtown but there's not it's just more people are accessing life-saving services and that's what people are seeing so they think that there's been an increase but there actually hasn't been people are just being safer with their actions how about you dara um so some common misconceptions about pg perg i would say First and foremost is that PG Perg is run by the university. Uh, we're independent. We are completely student funded. Um, we lease our office space from the undergraduate society and we are inherently tied to UNBC. Like all public interest, interest research groups are um, based on campuses. So they have them at like, you know, Vancouver Island University, um, SFU has one. They have them at like campuses uh, in the States. Um, Yeah, they've been around since the 70s, and they just have popped up independently throughout North America. And so, yeah, anyway, we're inherently tied to UNBC, and we do our work here with these students, but we are independent. We're also nonpartisan. 
which sometimes is a hard line to ride because obviously there are certain policies that don't align with our own values. Um, but we're, yeah, we're nonpartisan. And then I think in terms of misconceptions around work that we do, I think uh, because a lot of our our programs right now are very focused on the environment and on food, um, you always run into that classic conundrum of what about the economy and you know we don't really have any programs that are directly related to like you know we don't have anything that's super anti-industry or anything like that but that is definitely something that I think a lot of people that comes to mind for a lot of people when anything environmental is is mentioned it's like an automatic thing of well you know well we live in the north and I think it's a fair reaction um, but I do think that it's it's unfortunate because it steers a lot of people clear of initiatives or organizations or even just taking actions in their personal lives that are aligned with environmentalism, that are positive, but they feel like inherently go against like practicality. I wouldn't even say it's a personal view. It's that a lot of people think environmentalism is just impractical or unrealistic. Um, they think, you know, if you drive a car, you can't be an environmentalist. Or if you do X, Y, Z, you can't, um, you know, you can't, you're, the, you're a hypocrite. And so I feel like... I feel like we do have a really strong student body here at UNBC organized in environmental issues and social justice issues, and we have a really great community, but I also think that there are, um, there's a huge benefit in, in people realizing that a lot of the work that we do and a lot of work in environmental and social justice in general benefits everybody. Like feminism benefits men, you know, um, food security benefits anyone who eats regardless of whether you identify as an environmentalist. And water security, like there's just so many things that, that everyone could be, I think, a little more aware of and it, labels always turn some people off and then also attract some people and that's kind of just yeah, so it, we end up attracting people who do want to identify as environmentalists or as people who are passionate about social justice, people who are, you know, feminist or allies to, uh, you know, any marginalized community. And then inherently um, with that reputation, you also end up not attracting people who who aren't so actively interested in that kind of work. But I think because, because we have really historically been nonpartisan and been... Um, I, th I think in the last couple years, especially a little quieter in terms of activism, like having a program that's like a farm and a veggie box and stuff like that, they are, I think they're acts of environmental justice, but they aren't necessarily very strong activism pieces. So I do think in the past couple years that we have gained volunteers and gained um, engagement from people who, yeah, people who wouldn't necessarily go to like an environmental rally or go to a harm reduction rally or say I'm a feminist or say I care about indigenous rights and title because it's not always something that comes up directly in conversation around the programs that we have specifically right now. Uh, before I was even at UNBC we had programs that were more activism focused and were more social focused like we had a club called Subversive Knitting and they would get together and knit and have really cool conversations. We had a group called um, Amnesty International and they would get together and have letter writing campaigns and they would write letters. So we have had groups in the past that have been um, more more outwardly social justice oriented and that brings more of an activism crowd. Yeah, we're always changing here on campus and it depends on who's involved and depends on the board and depends on the staff as well. And I think campus culture also changes throughout the years. So we kind of ebb and flow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a similar position to CIFR because we are also housed at the university uh, but operate independently, are student funded, 
and operate as a nonpartisan organization. But within the walls of the organization, there is a lot of room for interpretation as to what nonpartisan really means. And I don't think it necessarily means nonpolitical. But the direction of the organization takes is largely dependent on who is more actively involved at the time. And since students often have ties elsewhere and are here for a limited time, the organizational culture is prone to shifting. Yeah, the nonpartisan line is a hard one because, like, especially during this election cycle, um, so I run Perg social media and I share a lot of things on it. And um, once the election, like once the writ dropped and all I was seeing was election stuff, I, you know, all of a sudden, like, I didn't want to share things that specifically had a party's name on it. And I just had to be more careful. And then I thought sometimes, like, this is ridiculous. You know, obviously, I'm not going to pretend that we are for certain parties when clearly, if you just take a look at our organization, we're not going to be. So how does Pounds operate in relation to city council or local or regional politics? Uh, I think that in terms of the Pounds project and our political and, yeah, our political stance on some really serious issues is that we're, we're in a place right now of understanding, you know, there's this really like black and white conversation that's happening around everything that takes place in our downtown core, um, which is, you know, a part of the community as a whole. And so with this us versus them and um, all this black and white language and like the some of the you know fatalist attitudes that people have towards the things that are happening downtown, um, we've had to accept the fact that help might not be coming for for us, for the people that we care about, uh, for the issues that we're concerned about. And so we've, we've taken it upon ourselves to do the work that needs to be done. And we don't necessarily require help from other people at this point, uh, but we do want people to leave us alone to do the work that we need to be done. So there are so many barriers put in place um, because of this belief that substance use precludes a person or an organization's worth. So we're a drug users group, and because of that, you know, it took more than a month to find a bank that would open a bank account to hold our government-issued funds. You know, we receive funding from a branch of the Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions, so it's fair to assume that the government does an okay job of minding our business in terms of finances. But all of our big chartered banks were reluctant to hold our funds because we bear the label of a drug user group. And so that stigma affects the very important work that we do and our ability to do it. Um, and so we're okay to you know do this work that needs to be done and to do it with pennies and to do it from back alleys and you know off the sides of our desk but we do want people to stand down um, and let us do the work that needs to be done because people's lives are on the line and your your opinion on it doesn't matter when someone's life is at risk opinions don't matter anymore You are listening to Culture Confluence, a podcast hosted and produced by me, Kate Partridge, with support from CIFR 88.7 FM and the Community Arts Council of Prince George.
currently have any collaborations with other organizations doing similar or complementary work? And what, if any, collaborations would you like to see in the future? PG Park has had uh, really strong relationships with a number of organizations um, over the years. A couple that I can think of off the top of my head are Conservation North, um, which is also based here on campus as well as you know wild conservation trust uh, which was started by unbc alumna uh, a lot of our relationships with other people in the community are um, actually with food producers and with farmers because we source vegetables for our monthly box we also were selling at the farmers market this past summer which was a really good time to literally just walk around the market and say hi to people and talk to people about what they're growing and what's working for them um, what are the issues they're facing in the face of climate change? Like just having those con conversations with other food producers um, that are inherently political, but you know, it's also just about community building. Um, so like Hope Farms has been a really big supporter of us. Um, Andrew from Hope Farms has run a couple of workshops at PERG and uh, you know, Caribou Growers is a really established farm here as well, and they've been supporting our veggie box for a number of years. Um, Cold Juicery over at uh, the Northern Sports Center, they bought all of our kale this past season, which was amazing. Um, they're really passionate about sourcing locally. We also buy things from people locally, like we sell some uh, package-free soap over in our bulk food store. Um, yeah, so we have a lot of relationships like that locally that are, I guess, a little bit... They have to do with our, the business side of our organization, like with the store and like with the boxes. But in terms of activism here on campus, we also um, have a pretty good relationship with the Northern Women's Center, as well as Inspiring Women Among Us. They put on a big event every year, which I would actually like PG Park to host an event at in the future, uh, but I didn't, I didn't have time to put something together for this fall. But yeah, so we're, we're building a lot of relationships locally. In the future, I would like to see us build more relationships with organizations that are really uh, specifically and loudly focused on social justice. Um, because I think that that is an aspect where PG Perg could be a lot louder and could be more involved. And I also think that um, being more involved with other issues other than more environmentally focused issues would bring would bring in more people into PG Perg who maybe aren't necessarily that interested in, in agriculture or in, you know, conservation or um, in environmental issues and sustainability, maybe people who are interested in poverty reduction or people who are interested in, you know, in gender equality, people who are interested in indigenous rights and indigenous title or just other things that other projects or campaigns that we could have that could bring more people into Perg and to really also stay true to our mandate that we we serve students and we take on campaigns and create programs that are of students interest and so if we can tap into other interests here on campus other than all of the really neat um, food related and environmentally um, focused interests right now but if we can tap into other interests and other issues that are equally relevant in our community I think that would that would do nothing but good for our organization. How about pounds? Pounds would not be anything today without Central Interior Native Health Society. They took a major leap of faith in supporting us in our early days. Um, and so we could not exist without their support. Um, we're really well supported by Northern Health. Um, not financially supported in any way, but <laughs> in terms of um, resources and guidance, Northern Health has been very supportive. The Downtown Business Association, we have a great relationship with them, and they've been uh, very helpful in helping us get situated in our new resource center downtown. 
Uh, on a provincial scale, we do a lot of really fabulous work with CSUN, which is the Coalition of Substance Users of the North, um, and with the BC Yukon Association of Drug War Survivors, which is a province-wide network of people with lived and living experience of substance use and people who have survived the war on drugs. Yeah, looking towards the future, Pounds is really hopeful uh, for the possibility of a positive and engaging relationship with our city. So I understand that there are a lot of competing interests in in our community and related to the development of the downtown. And I think that uh, a, a relationship is possible that supports the health and well-being of everyone who lives in our community. And it's just a matter of finding that middle ground and that that space where those open and honest conversations can start to happen around people's fears and misconceptions and their hopes. So that's, I think, one of our, our primary goals for the upcoming year is to work on building that relationship with our municipality. And Jordan, can you tell us about the Resource Centre? Uh, we have opened a Resource Centre located downtown that supports people who have lived and living experience of substance use or marginalization, poverty, homelessness, uh, or criminalization of poverty, things related to that. So the Resource Centre is peer-run and it is open Tuesday to Sunday from 7 a.m. to noon and 7 p.m. till midnight. So it's a stigma-free zone where folks can get connected with peer support, they can access advocacy supports, education around health and well-being, safety, and to to get connected to a community of like-minded individuals. We Super have awesome some therapy, therapy dogs that hang out with us uh, on a fairly regular basis. The center is also a place that the general public can drop in at any time uh, for take-home naloxone training or any kind of harm reduction information or education that they're interested in. We're always happy to have those conversations. Yeah, always open to a cup of coffee. How do you stay accountable to the communities you serve? Pounds strives to be a democratically run organization and we believe in the principles of cooperation and fundamental equality. So every person that works for the Pounds Project uh, makes the same wage regardless of their lived experience, professional education, accreditation, anything like that. We hold monthly meetings that are open to the public uh, where folks can come and hear about things that are going on, share any concerns that they might have. Um, and that's, so that's open to general public as well as clients that you know are consumers of our services. And we obviously have a significant overlap in terms of staff and volunteers and um, clients that access our services. So that overlap means that when we when it comes to things like decision making or policy setting, our organization's guiding principles are rooted in the belief that we are all equal um, and that learning is a two-way street. That's really cool because, like, up until you said it, I hadn't really thought about it, but, like, say I worked in the Pounds Project as someone with no lived experience um, with any kind of addiction. I could brainstorm different rules for, say, like a housing collective, and then someone else with a lived experience could be like, actually, this rule doesn't make any sense, like, because of whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and then it's obviously so important to listen to that. Yeah, we actually just had a staff meeting with proposed guidelines and then, like, actually went and 
talked to everybody who's going to live there. Like our entire group talked about it to see which of those were like cool, which were unacceptable, what works in like the other shelters, what like works with people, what rules they're not comfortable following. If anything could be changed, like we had a whole open dialogue about it to make guidelines that work for everyone, that like it's going to be a safe space, that there are guidelines that will be followed because everyone there respects everyone equally and the jobs that we're all willing to do are all equal. So if some people aren't following them, it makes life harder for everyone else. So we kind of just like had an open discussion about what was going to work and what wouldn't work for everybody. And anytime you give people or like a, a group, a population, um, a community of people, a sense of ownership, accountability typically follows. Yeah. So when we, we've created a space that is peer driven, peer led, um, belongs to a community of people who use substances. So there's no incentive for anybody to not be the best that they can in that environment because it exists for them. In an organization that is consensus-based and community-driven, how do you contend with power imbalance on an interpersonal level? Um, My personal approach is through vulnerability and transparency. So when I show up to work, I show up as my 100% authentic self, and that means recognizing the privilege that I hold that members of my staff team might not also have. Um, and recognizing that I can be called on my actions um, the same as anybody else can. And just showing up each day and, yeah, with that authenticity and that vulnerability. And I think that 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 levels the field in a lot of ways. Um, Because at the end of the day, if you're two people sitting together, that equality is pretty easy to find. And do you train incoming staff or volunteers, or is the hope that the culture of the organization is robust enough to enforce it? It seems to kind of be like we just like are attracting like-minded individuals. I think most of us try to show up to work without asking something from someone else that we're not willing to do ourselves. And kind of that kind of equality, like I would never ask somebody to do something that I'm also not willing to put like my neck out for. And we seem to be, so far, attracting like-minded people where we haven't had to do much training, but people do seem to weed themselves out based on, like, our guiding principles. Like, if it's not going to work with somebody, they usually weed themselves out. So we haven't really had to do anything to train people that way. It just kind of, it's worked out so far. And how about PG Perk? How do you stay accountable to the communities you serve? In terms of staying accountable to our community, uh, I would say our, our main community is our membership, which is UNBC students. Um, because all UNBC students pay a fee to be a member of PG Perg, um, they are they are the main people that we serve, and they're the people um, for whom the programs run, and they're the people whose feedback we take very seriously. Um, if they want to see something or they don't want to see something like those are things that are important to us um, when we hear it. I think it's also a bit of a funny situation and maybe CIFR has the same thing because all UNBC students um, uh, are technically members of PGPERG and then a certain percentage of UNB students engage with PGPERG. So it's not really it's not the same as where we have you know we have big collective meetings or we make consensus consensus based decisions um, with the entire 
membership because some choose not to engage. It's just not, you know, it's not part of the university experience. They're part of other groups. So for the people who are engaged with PG Perg, um, we really take to heart any kind of uh, feedback that they have, um, any kind of suggestions that they make or projects that they bring up. So for example, the Good Store, which is the bulk food store. Last year we had our local foods coordinator, Bridie, and she was running the Good Food Box program. She found that she was, wasn't filling her hours. Um, she wanted a bit of a challenge. So she, she and Arctica, who is the previous executive director, they decided to apply for um, a green grant. And through that, Bridie then opened the Good Store. And now we have a bulk food store here on campus. So, yeah, passion projects are, um, are something that we really support, and I feel like that really comes from our community. Another way that we're, we're really accountable to students, I think, is that our board is student-run. So all four of our board members are all UNBC students. They're all either previous staff or volunteers um, or people who learned about PERG and wanted to be involved somehow and yeah we engage with the student body a lot we're really open and frank about uh, the goals of our programs the logistics of them um, our financials as well and as a nonprofit organization our goal is to cover all of our program costs so to be able to cover all of the costs um, like upfront costs but also to pay everybody a decent wage um, and then to be able to invest a little bit back into the programs and then in the future make them better. But outside of that, our profit margins are pretty small and that's like a nice thing. You know, it's, it kind of actually relieves a bit of a pressure is what I found in like, you know, for example, like with the Good Food Box, um, as long as we're covering the costs, then we've met our goal where we're supporting um, people's uh, access to food or, you know, helping students have um, have healthy foods, helping farmers sell to students who normally wouldn't go down to the market. Uh, it's not about making huge profit. So I think that that aspect of being nonprofit has been really nice because then it kind of takes our mind off of having to have a really big profit margin and instead we're really focused on obviously on being sustainable financially but also on um, meeting our other goals which are the goals that our programs fulfill like socially and environmentally and yeah. As someone who went here for six years, I did not know PG Perk was that cool. And I wish that the good store was a thing when I went here. That sounds so awesome. Thanks. How about the workshops PG Perk runs, which are great avenues to non-traditional resource and information sharing? Yeah, we try to run a lot of workshops. And again, it kind of, it depends on the interests of the current staff. Um, so recently we've had workshops called Ask a Farmer, and we actually had Andrew from Hope Farms uh, do a couple sessions. Um, I believe they were down at the public library, uh, and he just had, we had a lot of community members too, not just students, come and ask questions. And, you know, people would even, like, take pictures of plants or things and be like, this is happening, what am I doing, or what do I, like, it's a really cool, uh, it's just a really cool idea, I think. And so, um, yeah, we've had a lot of workshops. Lately, they've been very focused on growing, like growing food and growing plants and stuff. Uh, and we almost always have them free. Uh, if there's ever a cost involved, it's because participants are taking something home, um, like, you know, taking home a little container of vermicompost to start their own compost or taking home a plant or taking home microgreens or something that they got from the workshop and learned about. But otherwise... Yeah, our goal is um, knowledge sharing. Yeah, that's really cool. So how can people get involved? The 
best way to stay in touch with the Pounds Project is through our social media. So through our Facebook page and our newly founded Instagram page. That's the best way to stay in the loop uh, in terms of what we're up to and what we've got going on. In early November, we'll be looking to do a new intake for staff and volunteers. So for anyone who's interested in participating in that, getting some basic naloxin training, some work around boundaries, understanding how to work with people who use drugs uh, in a engaging and empowering way, uh, you can get in touch with us at thepoundsproject at gmail.com. Um, or through messaging our Facebook page and we can let you know how to how to get involved in the volunteering process. PG Perks also super uh, super active on our social media. Um, we have a Facebook page, it's PG Perg. Uh, we also have an Instagram, also PG Perg. Uh, we have an Instagram specifically for the good store if people are just wanting to um, you know hear about small like if we have a sale or if we get a new item uh giveaways that kind of thing we also have uh, a twitter that i check very infrequently but i'm trying i don't really know how to do twitter that well but yeah so we're on facebook instagram uh twitter we have an email pgperg at unbc.ca um our office is open from 10:30 to 4:30, just down the street <laughs> from super <laughs> and um, the door is always open, so I often get students come coming in, or even people visiting campus, and they just want to ask what we're about, ask what we do, um, and then they'll often join the mailing list, or they'll find us online and kind of see what we do and see if there's something that interests them, whether it's ordering a box or becoming a volunteer or um, just attending our events. If somebody has a specific inquiry around like co-hosting an event or wanting to start like a student-led action group or a campaign or something more collaborative, then um, pgperg at unbc.ca is a really great place that goes directly to me. And uh, I'm always open to, to new partnerships and collaborations and just uh, meeting other people in the community. And for any students looking for unique practicum hours, feel free to hit us up. We love hanging out with students. We've had medical students and nursing students, some social work students all come through and spend time with us. Dara, Jordan, Kelsey, thanks so much for coming in to chat today. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Thanks, Kate. That wraps up another episode of Culture Confluence on CIFR 88.7 FM with support from the Community Arts Council of Prince George. Big thanks to my guests, Dara Campbell, Jordan Harris, and Kelsey Callowert for their time and thoughtful answers. For past episodes of Culture Confluence, go to cultureconfluence.podbean.com, cfur.ca, or your favorite podcast provider, such as Apple Podcasts or CastBox. Music for today's episode is from Edmonton band Bloom and Winnipeg's Begonia. If you have any questions about the music, this podcast, or anything else, please email me at cfur underscore hello at cfur.ca. I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to Culture Confluence. Just to see if you liked I want to cross to the other side Just to see it in plain sight All the answers I I know that there's a
Just to see the other. 